In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. It's time to get happy. Harvesting happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen. A fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness because happiness is a choice. And happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Hence the name of the show, Harvesting Happiness. Lisa's going to shine a light on the well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. And as a filmmaker, psychologist, author, professor, and motivational speaker specializing in the field of happiness, Lisa Cypress-Kamen is widely recognized as an expert in the field. In the show, she'll also focus on military families, service personnel returning with PTSD, traumatic brain injury, and civilian life reintegration issues. So let's get to it. Harvesting Happiness on Tuggynet.com. And now, here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and happy 2012. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, our first show of 2012. And I'm here to speak with you, as I do each and every Wednesday, about happiness, well-being, and human flourishing. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. The achievement of a happy life is not only good for us, but for those around us. I can't even speak. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to the collective flourishing of humanity on a global level. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is all about the heart. Before we bring on today's guest, Dr. Ken Cloak, I want to open up the phone lines for call-ins at 877-864-4869. Again, 877-864-4869. And to come into our chat room on toginet.com, you can reach us there. And you can also find us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness. Well, today's show is about a subject that most of us shy away from. But it is a very, 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 very large part of life, and that is conflict. Dr. Kenneth Cloak is the director of the Center for Dispute Resolution. He's a mediator, arbitrator, attorney, coach, consultant, trainer who specializes in communication, negotiation, and resolving complex multi-party conflicts. This includes community grievances, workplace disputes, collective bargaining negotiations, organizational and school conflicts, sexual harassment, international conflicts, and public public policy disputes. And he really works with individuals and groups in designing preventative conflict resolution systems for organizations as well. He's a nationally recognized speaker and author of Mediation, Revenge, and the Magic of Forgiveness, Mediating Dangerously the Frontiers of Conflict Resolution, The Crossroads of Conflict, A Journey into the Heart of Dispute Resolution, and Conflict Revolution, 
not resolution, conflict, revolution, mediating evil, war, injustice, and terrorism. You know, in short, he is a prolific writer, in addition to all the other amazing skills that he possesses. And I want to bring Dr. Cloak on the line. Hello, Ken, and welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for being here. And I also would love to mention, if it's okay, I can toot your family horn for a minute, that Ken is the brother of Dr. Bill Cloak, who is a psychologist based in the Los Angeles area, who has written a book called Happy Together. We'll give him a little plug. And what I love about the two of you is that you really have approached um, the same kinds of issues from very different perspectives, Uh, yours being the law and the legal system, and his being um, mental health and well-being. But really, the bottom line is conflict. Life is filled with conflicts. And the issue is how we relate to the issue. <laughs> exactly. And it's interesting because uh, both of those two approaches to conflict meet at the center. And uh, every conflict has an emotional element to it, and every conflict has some substantive problem that people are trying to solve. And so what conflict resolution is, is a place where those two conversations come together. Indeed. And, and I'm learning quite a bit uh, about conflict resolution in terms of psychology and positive psychology and its place in the work that you do. Um, recently, we had the TEDx uh, community event up here in Malibu, and I know that you do teach at Pepperdine, which is based up here in Malibu, mm-hmm. California. And um, Douglas Kamek was one of our presenters, and mm-hmm. he is a colleague of yours. Yeah. And uh, he is a big proponent of implementing positive psychology coaching tools with conflict resolution. And he and I have had several conversations about this. And I think that there really is a place for this happiness business. And we use, you know, happyology and happiness coaching and all of this really as um, buzzwords, but they can be somewhat annoying. You know, the word happiness, what we're really talking about is well-being and meeting people's needs and contentment. Yes, um... The difficulty is that no one in conflict is very happy. And the reason is because they're stuck and can't find a way out. And so one of the elements of conflict resolution is simply to have a conversation that takes people to the place that they are stuck. But the difficulty is that that is several levels beneath the level that the problem that people are arguing about takes place at. So just think of your own conflicts, conflicts with your spouse, conflicts with your kids, conflicts with your family. And what happens in the course of those conflicts is that you get into arguments about things that afterwards you think, why was that so important to me? And the answer is um, not on the surface. The answer is um, that uh, Uh, it's about what the thing means to you. So if you're arguing about dirty dishes in the sink, it's not just the dirty dishes in the sink, it's the meaning of the dirty dishes in the sink. And that's a conversation that most people generally don't have. But as soon as you open up that conversation, it releases a lot of the tension and makes it possible to be back in touch with what does make you happy. How, how did you get into this field? You started life as an attorney, your professional life? Um, well, I think I had a life before I was an attorney. 
But uh, <laughs> you did? sometimes uh, after you've been in the field for a while, it's possible to forget that. Um, but yes, I was an attorney, a law professor, a judge. And what happened is uh, I realized that um, the, the process uh, and the way that conversations took place within the law prevented people from actually being able to resolve their disputes. Um, the arguments were adversarial. Um, they were win-lose. Um, one side succeeds and the other side fails. And most of life isn't actually like that. Uh, so instead of there being a single truth, uh, in many instances, there are multiple truths. And the truths depend on attitude um, and on uh, the kinds of things that people feel are important to them. But mm -hmm. that isn't a part of the legal conversation. So as a result of having that realization, I became interested in conflict resolution. You, you, your point is very well taken, that it is not a normal part of, of law, of when people, when people come to lawyers or come to court to resolve their conflicts, they are in general looking for a win-lose. Someone's mm -hmm. going to be the victor, someone's going to be the loser. When in fact, um, Abraham Lincoln, for example, didn't really believe in going to court. I mean, he was a great attorney, correct? Yes. And he That's right. And, and what he said, there's a wonderful quotation from him in which he says that um, when I'm talking with a person, I'll spend most of the time trying to listen to them and find out what they want, and only a small part of my time trying to convince them of what I think. <laughs> And that's not the way that the law works. So the problem isn't that the law isn't a useful method. It's that it's only useful under certain circumstances. If you can't talk about what's emotionally important to you, um, then uh, a whole range of disputes just slip outside of the law. And if you don't want a win-lose solution, um, if you would rather have a situation which everyone feels that they've gotten something uh, or satisfied some interest that's important to them, then you need a different method for resolving uh, the conflict. And the kinds of people that you see, the, the, the private, the, the public, the nonprofit, the for-profit, that come to you with issues that need resolution, it can be as um, simple as one-on-one -on -one marital situations or highly complex, like we stated in the beginning, where you have multiple parties who are disputing, really, and sometimes air. Uh, that's absolutely right, except that uh, oftentimes the marital disputes are very complex. So there's a new field that's called marital mediation. And in marital mediation, couples talk about the uh, ways that they're fighting, the arguments that they're having, what they're doing while they're having those arguments, and is that something that's useful to their relationship? And the general answer is no, it isn't. It's actually very counterproductive and makes people very unhappy. But if instead they can say, for example, uh, here's an, uh, an intervention that your listeners can use. The next time they're in a, an argument with someone that they care about, uh, to just ask them this question. What is it that makes you feel so strongly about this issue? Why do you care so deeply about it? And mm. that 
conversation is the one that brings you into dialogue with each other. Uh, and it opens up the possibility of solving the deeper problem. It's very empowering. We are going to go to a break in 30 seconds, and this is a perfect end note for this segment to, to really ask yourself and one another when in conflict what, what really is important about the issue that you're fighting over and what you hope to achieve at the end. For our listeners to reach out to you directly, they can find you at your website, which is, Dr. Cloak? Uh, www.kennethcloak.com. Very easy. Perfect. www.kennethcloak.com. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back and we'll continue the conversation with Kenneth Cloak. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how. On Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet.com. Are you someone who leaps out of bed to greet the morning, amazed at your good fortune every hour of the day? Or are you someone like me who needs regular infusions of inspiration? I'm Meg Pierre, a photographer, travel writer, and creator of the website www.viewfromthepier.com, which focuses on the human quest to connect with self others and a sense of wonder every day the site features a new beautiful image from my travels around the world captioned by an uplifting quotation this daily dose of inspiration is available free viewfromthepeer.com also presents monthly interviews with fascinating people i have met in my travels who offer their personal stories and wisdom along with in-depth destination stories about cultural traditions from around the world If your day could benefit from a quick change of scenery or attitude adjustment, I invite you to visit www.viewfromthepeer.com. Renowned and gifted psychic medium, Sylvia Rossi, explores the mysteries of this life, the afterlife, and the unseen world that surrounds us all in the show called Make Contact with Sylvia Rossi, Wednesdays at 2, 1 p.m. Central here on Toginet. Sylvia Rossi with her special guests and other fellow psychics invite you to call in and make contact with the world beyond and get answers to your questions. Psychic medium Sylvia Rossi has been sharing her gift professionally for the last 17 years. Sylvia has made it her mission to help individuals and families understand their eternal connection to loved ones that have passed on, bringing relief and comfort to countless souls who have been touched by her gift. She's had the privilege of meeting and working with many psychologists who continue to recommend their clients to her when conventional methods have failed. Now it's your turn to make contact with host and psychic medium, Sylvia Rossi. Wednesdays at 2, 1 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet. The show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Hence the name of the show. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen.
Welcome back, everyone. I'm here today with Kenneth Cloak, who is the director of the Center for Dispute Resolution. He's a mediator, arbitrator, attorney, coach, consultant, trainer, and I could go on with his skills. But the bottom line is we're talking about one of life's unpleasant subjects, which is conflict, very much a fact of life, and can be creatively addressed, which that in of itself could be fun. And we touched upon this before the break, Ken, when people are in disagreement, if you just ask one very simple and very powerful question of another, how it can lead to an opening and begin a conversation that begins to diffuse the, uh, the heat in the moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm hoping you can um, shed more light upon that through your work and your most recent book that um, addresses, you know, the the layperson and how they may use conflict resolution in their lives. Sure. There are thousands of ways of opening a conversation that is useful um, with people that you're in conflict with. And um, the difficulty is that most of what we do when we get into conflict is we talk, um, and even talking actually is a step forward as opposed to yelling, shouting, insulting. And what every one of us wants when we're in conflict is to have someone else listen to us as we describe what's important to us and why it's important. And so that's the basic way in to a conversation that isn't working, to just say, um, what's important to you in this conversation? There are other forms of that. For example, you can ask um, this question, which I often use in family disputes. Um, what words would you use to describe the kind of family you most want to have? And then people use different words. Some people will say they want a family that's honest. And the one who says they want a family that's honest feels lied to. And then we can begin to get into why is it that you feel that your family right now is not being honest? And are you willing to be honest? And what can you do to encourage others to be honest towards you? And those, all of those conversations are basically just an indication on the part of people that they care about the other person, that they want to be in a relationship with them. And this works... Uh, not only uh, in families, it also uh, is very successful in the workplace, and it's successful in with neighbor-to-neighbor disputes. It's successful in businesses. So the fundamental skills that we're talking about in conflict resolution are listening skills, um, skills that bring, allow you to ask questions that invite people to be authentic and real and honest about the difficulties that they're facing. The object of conflict resolution isn't to make the conflict go away. It's to gain insight into the reasons that the conflict occurred and transform the conflict into a problem that can be solved. That's the object. So conflict resolution we can think of just as an informal conversation that's designed to solve a problem. But how do you design a conversation that can solve a problem? And that's where mediators come in. Uh, That's what mediators do. They help to design conversations that will help people solve problems for themselves. 
in a certain sense, it's it's like hiring an adult to be in the room. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's because right. when we get to that con- con- highly charged and conflicted state, we're no longer operating from our most mature position. Yeah, that's exactly right. We regress back to <laughs> a place where um, this is what worked. We yelled, we shouted, we screamed, and our parents did something to you know, make us okay. And so you're totally, you're completely right. We do regress back into this kind of infantile state. And what we learn is that, um, and we even learn it starting from the time that we're two years old. Um, We learn that uh, it's better to be paid attention to for doing something bad than not to be paid attention to at all. Mm-hmm. Um, we learn how to get what we want by screaming and yelling in a public place so our parents get embarrassed and just sort of give in. Uh, and we assume that other people are going to do the same thing. But slowly over time, as we mature, we discover that we can be more skillful in getting the things that we need without compromising our relationships. But that takes a long time. In fact, a lifetime even. Yes, and, and, and it also requires that we cultivate our empathy gland. Well, the two most important elements in any conflict conversation are empathy and honesty. Um, and the more honest you want to be, um, the more empathetic you have to be, because empath- honesty without empathy feels brutal and cruel, and empathy without honesty feels kind of simpy and wimpy and um, you know, not capable of solving the underlying problems. So what we want to do is to build both of those. And what empathy consists of, basically, is discovering the other inside the self. Mm-hmm. Meaning, you ask yourself the question, what would have had to have happened to have made me say what she just said? What would my life have had to have been like to have made me do what he just did? And if you ask the question in that way, you will come up with not the correct answer, but with an answer that will lead you to a question that you can ask that other person to find out if that, in fact, is what has happened to them. Um, I've been doing this for 30 years now, and I've mediated thousands of disputes, and Most of those disputes um, actually consist of misunderstandings, miscommunications, um, just incomplete uh, indications of what's actually happening to you or assumptions that the other person understands when in fact they don't. And then the second part consists of engagement, but engagement means recognizing somebody who's actually different from you and needs that are different from yours. And that's the place where conflict resolution really is the adult form of kind of living together, um, where we recognize that we're very, very different and we have very different needs. And within those differences comes the possibility, actually, of a higher level of living. Because by your being strong in one area where I'm weak and my being strong in an area where you're weak, if we can work together, we can actually create something that's synergistic. 
Mm, and so powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you often or have you found in your work when you do the conflict resolution that people who come together, they're conflicted, they've got an issue going on, and through your collaborative work with them, find that they really aren't as far apart as they believed themselves to be when they first walked through the door? I would say, well, here are the statistics. 100% of the people who come to see me or any other mediator are completely stuck. They have no idea what to do. Out of that 100%, somewhere between 90 and 95% end up resolving their disputes. And out of that 90 to 95%, about 98% have no problems enforcing their agreements, in spite of the fact that I'm not the police or a judge who's standing over them and telling them they have to do this. So how is it that this happens? And the answer, I think, is exactly what you suggested, Lisa, which is that uh, people discover that what they thought were obstacles were actually um, places where learning could take place. And if we think of it this way, um, every conflict that we experience in our lives is very simply a place where we're stuck. If we could figure out how to become unstuck, that would be significant. And so another way of, well, let me say this in a slightly different way. There are no two-year-olds who have conflicts over romantic love. And the reason (laughs) is because they're just not ready yet. And there are no 70-year-olds who have conflicts with their parents over curfew. And the reason is because they've already solved that problem. So who gets conflict? And the answer is people who are facing a problem that they have to solve and don't have the skills that they need in order to be able to solve it. And what that means is every conflict points you in the direction of what you most need to learn in order to become happy and self-fulfilled and be in a, a, a relationship that works. I absolutely love this. I'm sorry to interrupt you. We're going to be gliding into a break in about a minute and a half, so I need to jump in here because I want to take us to this break with a little uh, food for thought while we're on the on the pause. This is it completely reframes the notion to me from listening to you of conflict from being something that is negative as an opportunity for transformation of oneself. Exactly. And by transforming yourself, there there are two things. There's transformation and there's transcendence. Transformation is a change in the form of the conflict. And when you communicate with another person, you change the form of the conflict from one in which you're shouting and yelling and screaming and insulting each other into one in which you're both trying to figure out what's actually taken place. And the second level is transcendence, which is where you have learned what the conflict took place in order to teach you. And that's the moment of opportunity. Oh, it's, it's a complete moment of, of shift and, and mm-hmm. growth. And it, and it actually can be looked at as a very spiritual process, which I would love mm-hmm. to get into in the, in the next segment. We're going to break to find more information about Dr. Kenneth Cloak. You may do so at www.kennethcloak.com and find out more about us at www.harvestinghappiness.com. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. 
know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet.com. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep into topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world, and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. For more information on Trisha and Living Inspired, go to her website, TrishaGoyer.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R.com. Trisha's vision is to be the voice of hope and possibility for women of all ages. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Booyah! That's the word uttered when you know you have the upper hand. Or you're the winner. Well, now we have the Booyah Radio Hour with Martin Brassi. Tuesdays at 9, 8 central on toginet.com. Martin's show is all about helping speakers and authors find their niche, create their brand, and achieve massive success. Each week, Martin will interview guests from around the world who have achieved tremendous success as speakers and authors. You'll find out who they are, what they do, and how you can follow in their footsteps to achieve incredible results. Guests will come from around the world of business, entertainment, finance, the arts, and sciences. Nothing is off topic. No subject too taboo. We'll share valuable information as well as huge laughs as we discover the ups and downs of being a successful speaker and author. The Booyah Radio Hour with Martin Pressy. Tuesdays at 9, 8 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet. The show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Hence the name of the show. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Welcome back, everyone. I'm here today with Dr. Kenneth Cloak, who is a conflict resolution specialist with all kinds of of education and background that I don't want to eat up too much time repeating, but you can find him at uh, www.kennethcloak.com. And prior to the break, we began talking about the journey in conflict, conflict resolution that, you know, when there are problems and there are issues, how one can actually move through um, the journey of issue to resolution, but really where it starts is within ourselves and how that can be somewhat of a spiritual process, a transformational mm-hmm. process, and a transcendent one. And I love this because it taps into my, my personal interest and education and how I work with veterans through our nonprofit, HH for Heroes. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit because it's fascinating to me that law and conflict and spirituality and transcendence can all be um, 
uh, dogpiled into one sort of uh, fuzzy, warm, fuzzy experience. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think in the beginning, um, in the book that you mentioned earlier, um, The Crossroads of Conflict, there's a chapter called uh, Conflict as a Spiritual Crisis. And I believe that every conflict is a spiritual crisis in the sense of spirituality not as having anything anything necessarily to do with any particular religion, but as having to do with life choices. And who are you, who do you want to be? And what uh, every conflict does is it puts you right squarely in the crossroads of that problem. Um, How am I going to handle this right now? Who am I going to be with this other person? And that choice has consequences for the rest of your life. Um, There's a a wonderful statement from Henry David Thoreau, who wrote Walden um, and a number of other uh, books. And uh, Thoreau said, um, in quotes, the price of anything is the amount of life uh, you pay for it. And we pay an enormous part of our lives, an enormous price for the unresolved conflicts that we carry with us. So whatever we get uh, into with another person that we don't resolve actually ends up staying with us, even as a tiny little distraction from being able to be present. And this is where... Forgiveness comes in as a conflict resolution technique and as an element in recovery and returning to health. Because what forgiveness actually is, uh, my personal definition of it, is that it is uh, giving up um, uh, all the false expectations that you have had of another person and releasing yourself from the burden of those false expectations. Um, the novelist Annie Lamont says that forgiveness is giving up all hopes of having a better past. And that's basically what it is. It is a return to a kind of health, um, a return to yourself, as opposed to the one that you were while you were shouting and yelling and screaming at this other person. Um, So the idea of conflict resolution is to bring people as close as you possibly can to a place where they become authentic again. They become themselves, and they're capable of being themselves while in the presence of this person who they don't trust and who bothers them. Does that make sense to you? It it does make perfect sense to me. Um, What also comes to mind is the concept of self-forgiveness, because before you can offer forgiveness to anyone else, outside of yourself, you need to have that empathy for yourself. Exactly. That's that's often the most difficult piece of the equation because we carry all this baggage with us, you know, from when we were young through our lives and we arrive at the conflict armored up with all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So we are the last ones. Uh, Self-forgiveness is the last part of the forgiveness process and it's the one that's usually lost sight of. But just very, very quickly, uh, there are five simple steps that you can engage in to begin a forgiveness process. Um, And if you'd like, I can describe those five steps to you uh, if we have time. Oh, we have time. I think this would be wonderful. 
Okay. So the first step is to remember what happened and how it felt. If it's forgive and forget, then implicitly what you have done is give permission for the other person to do it again. <laughs> and that's not the idea. So instead of forgive and forget, it's remember and then release yourself from, what you're, what, from that memory. So the first step is to remember what happened and how it felt. The second goes back to your point about empathy, which is to imagine what the other person must have experienced and how it might have felt for them. Uh, because if you can't do that, the forgiveness hasn't included empathy, and that means you have eliminated from within yourself the possibility of finding inside yourself um, something like them. Uh, and that means you've just become a little bit unfree. Uh, the third step sounds completely counterintuitive, and what it is basically is um, listing all the reasons you can think of for not forgiving them and all the expectations you had of them that they did not meet. Um, and the reason for doing this is because we have those reasons, and if we don't actually face them directly, then they continue to prevent us from actually forgiving the person. And the fourth step is in two parts. First, either choose to release yourself from each of those reasons for not forgiving them uh, and each of the expectations you had of them that they didn't meet, or... Number two, and here's the place where it gets tough, identify what it's going to cost you to hold on to them. And what it's going to cost you is your life, yes. some part of your life. That's what it costs to hold on to the things that have happened to you. Uh, there's a wonderful statement from the, a French philosopher whose name is Jean-Paul Sartre who said, freedom is what you do with what's been done to you. Mm. And that's what forgiveness recognizes. It, it is a place where you create freedom from what has been done to you. So the worst that can happen to you, that someone can do to you, is not just to cause you harm, but to make you remember that harm for the rest of your life. And so letting go of that in a constructive way is what makes a difference. And here's where the constructive part comes in. Number five, design and execute a ritual of release, completion, and closure. But what is that ritual? The ritual may be, in fact, some volunteer work that you do for the rest of your life. Um, it may be something small, like shaking hands, and it may be something gigantic, like dedicating a part of your life to making sure that no one else experiences what you have experienced. Mm. And that's really tough. But without that ritual, um, it makes it very difficult to know whether you are kidding yourself about forgiveness or whether you're actually doing it. But when you actually turn it into action, that's when you know that it's real. 
This is very, 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 I'm sorry to interrupt you. This is very, very important because it's a, it is another spin on one of the most popular positive psychology tools of service. You know, when people can't get out of their own way or they're depressed or they're having difficulty coping, coping with what is happening in their lives, one of the interventions is to go out and be of use to some, someone else. Mm-hmm. And um, what you're suggesting with the inner conflict resolution is exactly that, to, to take what is the darkest part, you know, of our minds and transform it into the light by serving others with that very yeah. same issue. Exactly. And this doesn't have to be anything gigantic. You can think of the forgiveness that the Amish gave, for example, after the, the children were killed at the school. Yes. That's a pretty large form of forgiveness. But the tiny little forms of forgiveness are the ones that fascinate me. The ones that every one of your listeners has engaged in sometime this week. Meaning where you've just decided that's not that important for me to get upset about this. But instead of pulling away with a scar even a tiny, tiny little scar that you can't even notice as a result of that conversation, to go back to that person and clean it up. That's why it's a ritual of release and completion and closure, because the only way you get to those places is by um, consciously moving against the part of you that just wants to pull away and lick your wounds. Um, that never wants to speak to that person ever again. And what you discover when you do that is the other person also is suffering and would love to find some release as well. Um, And even if they aren't, uh, even if they carry with them uh, the anger toward you, you don't have to carry your anger toward them. Uh, That's your choice, and that's how you want to live your life. Well, I often ask people who I work with, how do you want to show up for life? You know, Mm -hmm. clearly people don't seek out coaching or therapeutic intervention if things are going perfectly. So they're coming because they're in in a state of distress in one form or another. And I think that puts the power when we, when we are in conflict, often we feel something has been done to us. We always feel that something has been done to us that's wronged us. And when the power is put back in our heads, in our hearts, and in our hands, it's very empowering. We're going to go to break in a couple of seconds. And when we come back, I would love to continue this conversation of the melange of law, uh, spirituality, philosophy, and forgiveness, because it's a huge component to joy from my perspective. We're going to go to a break. You can uh, reach Dr. Cloak at www.kennethcloak.com. We'll be right back. Where is my heart? Where is my heart? We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how. On Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet.com. The trick to getting published with your host, Florence Blake. Friday nights at 9, 8 central on Toginet.com. Flo has seen it, done it, and now can share from her experiences as a newspaper staff reporter, feature writer, freelance editor, and college writing instructor. 
And now Flo has authored a system whereby her students enjoy a 90% success rate in attaining publication of their manuscripts for the first time. In just four years, she has over 800 of her own articles published in national magazines, newspapers, and anthologies. Author of several books, including the powerful memoir, The Sicilian Nobleman's Daughter, Florence has advised and edited professors, deans, PhDs, and hundreds of students' writings before submission. And now it's your turn. Join us Friday nights with your questions. Most of Flo's students say they've learned much and thoroughly enjoyed the journey. It's The Trick to Getting Published with your host, Flo Blake. Friday nights at 9, 8 central on toginet.com. Part of the Grateful Good. Grateful Nation brings together patients, families, friends, and staff of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center to support the quality care and groundbreaking research at the medical center. Through new and traditional media, members of Grateful Nation share experiences, thank our caregivers and researchers, participate in sweepstakes, and gather to sponsor and host events and much more. Being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet. The show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Hence the name of the show. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen, and I'm here with Dr. Kenneth Cloak. He is a conflict resolution specialist. And before the break, we were talking about the power of forgiveness and the opportunity for these conflicts that can and do erupt in our lives, both personally and professionally, to offer opportunities for growth, transformation, and transcendence. And welcome back, Ken. Let's just jump right back in here because I love what you are offering up to people for their consideration here today, myself included. <laughs> Great. Hey, I'm, uh, uh, one of the difficulties, I think, with uh, conflict resolution is uh, it's very nice to uh, know that forgiveness is a possibility, um, but most people get stuck way, way before they ever get there. And the object of conflict resolution really is to answer the question, what happens if you do get stuck? What if people just really won't agree or can't agree? And um, there are several things that I think uh, your listeners might think about in that connection. Um, The first of those is uh, simply to, once again, step away from conversations that are not working. And here's a very simple technique that anyone can use when they're in a conversation that isn't working, and we've all been in those conversations. And that is to simply stop the conversation right in the middle and ask, turn to the other person and ask them this question. Excuse me, is this conversation working? <laughs> uh, their answer will be no. And then you can say, 
um, would you like it to work? Their answer will be yes. And then you can say, for example, what is one thing I could do that would make this conversation work better for you? And now would you like to hear one thing you can do that would make this conversation work better for me? And a, uh, a third thing that you can do is you can say, after you say, you know, would you like the conversation to work, just ask this question, why would you like it to work? And hear what the answer is. Really listen to the answer. And then say why you'd like it to work for you. And then if you want to get even deeper, you can say, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being highest, how would you rank the conversation that we were having before I asked you whether it was working or not? And they'll say a 2 or minus 4 or something like that. And then you can say, how would you rank the conversation that we're having right now? And they'll say a 5, a 6, something like that. And then you can say, what would it take for you to make it a 10? And here's what it would take for me. And that's the place where you have completely transformed the conversation that you were having beforehand and gotten yourself unstuck. So here's another basic way of thinking about what happens if you don't agree. The purpose of conflict resolution isn't to force an agreement. It's to just have the disagreement be a disagreement, and that's all. Disagreements are actually very useful. Um, They express a different version of what the future could be. And that's really important to preserve. Um, They represent an alternative possibility um, that you want to hold on to. Uh, And so maybe people won't agree. That's all right. But what you want to be sensitive to is, are they not agreeing for an emotional reason because they're upset at the way that I've been speaking to them? Or are they actually not agreeing because substantively there is something that I haven't seen that they have seen that might be important to creating a higher order of solution? So here's what often happens in conflict resolution. Two people disagree, and out of their disagreement comes a third option, one that nobody's ever thought of before. And that option is way better than any of the options that anybody had proposed before then. How do you get to that new option? Only through conflict. Mm. So if you can see that as a possibility, for example, in divorce, what oftentimes happens is um, husbands and wives uh, argue, or whoever the couple is, argues over, you know, some issue. Um, it doesn't matter what the issue is. Uh, it can be the house. It can be the business. It can be, you know, the grandma's plates. It can be any number of different things. But what they're thinking about is... Um, I'm on my own now. This person is not looking out for me. I have to look out for myself. And if I give in on this, I've given in something that's important to me. And the issue becomes either or. Either one person gets it or another person gets it. But between those two options, there are a whole bunch of others. Uh, Nobody wants a half of a living room couch. (laughs) Right. Just take a chainsaw and cut it in half. Nobody really wants that. Right. What they want, one person wants the couch, um, but 
they particularly like it, and maybe somebody else, you know, the other person wants it because they're afraid of losing it, but they don't really care that much about it. They care more about um, the uh, the bed uh, or the hi-fi equipment or whatever it might happen to be. And so you can talk about what things are important to you and why they're important to you, and through that conversation, get some clarity about what the options are. And we call this focusing on interests rather than positions. And an interest isn't a position. A position is what you want. An interest is the reason why you want it. And that's the basic idea. Well, let's talk for a second about the, the uh, most probably most famous sentence you hear in conflict is, I am upset because... You know, mm-hmm. that, that, which to me, you know, from where I sit is really about giving away your power, that you, one allows the behavior of another to disrupt your peace so greatly that you, you're, you're giving that sense of your own self-mastery away and allowing someone else to disturb your peace, which happens yes. to all of us. It's very, very common. But at the same time, does it really matter? I mean, it seems to me that another way of looking at the conflict is saying, well, if, if you know, everybody wants something out of a situation, that's just the human condition. Mm-hmm. But the, the expectation or the outcome of the sofa or the hi-fi or any of the other stuff that we collect within our lives really does not matter. What matters is how we choose to handle ourselves when confronted with the issue itself. Yes, I think that's you've got that exactly right, Lisa. So the um, what happens is that, for example, um, I did a divorce mediation in which the husband and wife were arguing about who would get to see the kids and what basis and you know what days of the week, and the husband uh, said to the wife, uh, in quotes, "I have a right to see the kids, to have the kids." And the problem, the underlying problem was, legally, of course, he had a right to see his kids. The problem was his kids didn't want to see him. And they didn't want to see him because he was yelling all the time and because he was always trying to get them to side with him against their mother. In other words, he was putting them in the position where to be with him and enjoy being with him, they had to betray their own mother. And so the... The conversation about rights wasn't successful in getting us underneath that uh, difficulty to a deeper level where people could see what actually needed to happen in order for the conflict to be over. And that is he had to give up hating his wife and convincing his kids that he was right and she was wrong. That's what they wanted. And as soon as he could have that, they wanted to be with him. And was he successful? Yes. Eventually? And, and because Eventually. Seems, it took yeah. a while because, of course, nobody gives up uh, these difficulties, uh, you know, these, these issues um, right away. Um, this is always something that uh, takes people a little time to figure out that they have to behave differently because these are life issues. They are mm-hmm. things that um, uh, aren't easy for them. It brings me to another question about uh, gender differences in your experience, mm-hmm. that uh, when you are in the room with men and women, albeit in divorce or in business settings, do you find that men and women resolve conflict differently, process conflict differently? 
Yes, absolutely. In fact, there's a lot of science that shows that men and women access different parts of their brain uh, when confronted with conflict. Um, there's a little place in the brain that nearly everybody goes to uh, when you experience conflict, and it's called the amygdala. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, a little place in the center of your brain that organizes the fight-or-flight reflex. But there's another center of your brain um, that, uh, instead of releasing adrenaline, releases another neurotransmitter called oxytocin. And oxytocin is what creates monogamy, uh, bonding, trust, uh, all of these other things. And women tend to go to a place of conversation rather than um, uh, adversarial argumentation uh, sooner than than men do. Um, both are capable of it. Uh, both have uh, adrenaline and both have oxytocin. But it is um, easier for women to access uh, the oxytocin. They do it more readily um, uh, than men do, and they tend to listen differently as well. Uh, So there have been studies that show that when men listen, they tend to listen more with one hemisphere of their brain, (laughs) the hemisphere that concerns language and logic, uh, rather than the one that concerns emotion, whereas women listen uh, also uh, with the hemisphere of their brain that is processing their emotions uh, much more fluidly. It isn't that it has to be this way. It's just a matter of practice. Well, I I can see we have another show brewing. We are out of time, and I'm getting prompts from the producer. So, Ken, I would love to have you back in a few months' time and get into these differences again between the genders and also the political agenda that we've got coming up and how conflict resolution and mediation affects how our government runs and can affect what goes on between countries and diplomacy. So please join us again, and you can find Dr. Kenneth Cloak's work at kennethcloak.com and me at harvestinghappiness.com. Until next week, this is Lisa Cypress came and thanking you, and have a great day. Thank you for being a part of Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. We'll do this again next Wednesday morning at 10, 11 Central here on Togedax.